Welcome to the Texans! And again, Watson escapes. Over the middle, it's cut. Akins and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown. Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Lowers the shoulder and in. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We're talking your Houston, Texas, straight from the Great British Isles. We're nine days away from the kickoff in KC. Zach Cunningham's been given a $14.5 million four-year extension by the club. Deshaun's extension seems imminent. We'll be talking about more on those next week, but this week we're looking through the final two-thirds of the AFC South as we head up to Tennessee and Florida to see where our foes are placed for this 2020 season. And join us this week as for part two of our AFC South preview. We've got Miles from the Transatlantic Titans. Miles, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Join us. We're just trying to understand the AFC South in this strange off season. How has a Tennessee's off season been from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, apart from the worldwide strangeness that's been going on, um, I'm generally happy with how the off season's gone for us. Draft wise, I think it went okay. I, I don't really have major complaints. I was always sort of making sure we kept as many key players from last year's terrific run as we could. And it, with the exception of arguably Logan Ryan, I think we've we've done that. We've secured the offensive players that were so important to us last year. And yeah, that that's definitely uh, something I thought we'd get one and not the other. But to get them both tied in long-term, more than happy with that. And Logan Ryan's just been picked up on a one-year yeah, Giants, deal by it? the Giants. Yeah, he was holding out for ten million, and I've I've heard he got seven point five, but I know I knew he'd hired a new uh, agent, so maybe that agent just went, "Come on, mate, you're getting yourself a deal there." So I want to say best of luck to him, but he, he done well as a Titan, so I, I can't have any uh, hatred towards him. Yeah, it was an interesting one, I think, because he he looked like he was wanting to play safety rather than you know he's done you know played various spots in the secondary but it looked like he'd want to go move there do you think that's going to be a big loss then for the secondary for for uh, Mike Vrabel's first year of calling this defense I think the, he is a loss because of the he he was I think he led our team in tackles last year and obviously that's it's now waiting on the other DBs to step up but obviously Fuller that we've drafted I'm expecting a lot of things for now it's uh, Adore Jackson Malcolm Butler's time to sort of show the potential that I mean, for Malcolm Butler especially, everyone thought after the Super Bowl winning catch that he, uh, interception that he had that he was going to crack on, and it's never really happened. But hopefully now, with them getting more pressure as the, the main uh, cornerbacks, we should hopefully see something out of them because he was never going to get safety with uh, Vaccaro and with Kevin Byard. So I think with our team, that's where, if he wants safety some way, he can try it at the Giants, but I don't think it was an option really for the Titans. Yeah, and it's interesting. Do you think... Christian Fulton comes in as the nickel nickelback day one, or you think that he'll have to kind of bide his time because probably, you know, of all coaches um, in this off season, trying to get guys ready to to contribute. Obviously, your week one's Monday night football against Denver, but yes, do you think he's going to be ready to come in and contribute from what you've seen and heard? I mean, if the question was asked with a normal preseason, hundred percent, I think he would be playing. Um, I think with the way it's it's been where obviously teams are having to sort of almost rely on their experienced players, it'll be interesting to see. But I think with Ryan going, Fulton's got all the potential of jumping straight in and playing. I have no doubt with that. Whether or not they take the risk, I don't know personally. I hope he starts. I hope we just throw him in at the deep end. I mean, starting with Denver, um, they've got an alright offense. I'm not going to brag and say they're incredible. I, I'm more scared of their defense, but... It'll be a nice test for him, and I, I, I prefer the let's see what you've got, unless the exception might be Mahomes, where you sit him out for a year and then they prove they've got everything. But I'm I'm happy to see him start straight away. And a guy who's not potentially an average self to the coaching staff has been Isaiah Wilson, turned mm-hmm. up out of shape, um, potentially wasn't going to start, but where's he at right now? Yeah, it's, I, I think with Wilson, we always had the impression that he was one that we draft and then we were going to develop him and maybe in a year's time he would start uh, with the right tackle position. I mean, looking at the sheer size of him, I don't know what he classes as being in shape, let alone out of shape, but he's 
he's he's definitely one for the future. I feel I feel they're going to develop a sort of because with the offensive line, it's so important that there's chemistry there. I feel they're going to work on that chemistry a little bit and maybe introduce him towards the latter stage of the season, depending on how it goes, or maybe even giving him a year out to actually fully develop. But as he's got all the potential of being a good athletic right tackle for our uh, running game anyway. And sticking with the defence in terms of Vic Beasley, um, seems a bit of a saga, didn't turn up, bereavement in the family. Yeah. He showed up, Mike Rabel's criticised him in public about his contribution and where he is ready to play in this sort of shortened off-season. What do you, do you see him contributing? Because it was a reasonable deal they gave him in, back in March. Yeah, he, he was given a contract the one year to basically show us what you can do and early on he's shown that he couldn't turn up. Um, whether or not family bereavement and everything else that was going on. Um, I, I was. It was one of them where I felt like we were going to sign him when it was announced he was leaving Atlanta. But, I mean, for him to get back to what was his 20... Uh, however long ago it might have been like six years now when he had that big season. I think he's going to contribute on that defensive line. Um, how much is going to be a big factor? I'm still clinging on to the chance of signing Clowney. But I think we already have sort of held laundry and Jeffrey Simmons has had a full, well, I say a full preseason. He's had a season to develop in his position. There's going to be a few players there looking to make an impact. And I mean, Beasley had the potential a few years ago, but I think mentally the past few years, he's just not been with it. So whether or not Rabel can sort of, by calling him out, get the best out of him, I certainly hope so. And I hope he really sort of pushes on now that we've at least got him in the uh, building. Yeah, I think the concern with Beasley is... I watched them last year in Houston against the Texans and you didn't really notice him. And I think he's a light-framed kind of speed rusher that needs to be built into packages and loops and stunts yeah. and twists and what have you up, up front to try and get free because you can find yourself getting locked up with mm-hmm. guys. Just I probably think you could potentially say that as well about Harold Landry. So would you say with the departure of Gerald Casey to Denver, um, is the pass rush going to be a concern? Because Casey was the guy that used to scare me, and that was the one I was looking out for. You know, you, you kind of guys you're watching up where they're lined up. Yeah. He's no longer there. Um, I know you mentioned Jadavian, and <laughs> I'd hate to see it. Uh, oh, but you never I, I know. I was going to say, I, know you, I think most people in our, our division would certainly hate to see that. But, I mean, I've, Landry for me is only going to get better and better. He's, he's the player out there that I feel like done so well last year and, only, I mean, only recently I've noticed he's been getting a bit more like media attention um, with how well he done. Casey, I mean, all the guys on the Transatlantic uh, podcast that we have, we always talk about Casey's up there with like all of us loved him. So to see him go was obviously a disappointment. Um, but I really feel like Simmons is going to step up and try and fill that role. Physically, he's got all the ability to. Last year, he's shown glimpses of being able to be that man, and I'm really hoping this is how he pushes on. Obviously, we're going to need help from Beasley. And then we have got the, um, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Murchison that we uh, also drafted the defensive tackle. You can see how he does. But, yeah, to me, they're, they're desperate. Of, to me, Clowney is the missing piece. But if we don't get that piece, I still feel like we can get enough pressure on the quarterback where it's going to cause some issues. It's a strange one with Jadavian, isn't it? Because I think he's a guy who, you know, I've talked extensively on here about his contribution to teams and what he can do. Um, but I think the money he's looking for and obviously mm-hmm. the climate's not helped. But I, it's quite possibly that, you know, considering the money that, you know, Tennessee have outlaid, that, they, you know, unless he's willing to take a, you know, significant discount to play for Vrabel. He's pro, you know, he's got a good chance of not ending up on a team week one at, at this rate, but you would struggle to think that that was possible. But it's we're only sort of nine days away from from football kicking off. No, no, it's 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 scary to think that someone when he was coming out of South Carolina was so much behind him. They just thought he was going to be a game wrecker. And in truth, whichever team he's on, he is someone that offensive coordinators have to plan for because that's what he is. He's a game wrecker, but. Whether or not, if he say he got signed in the next week or so, how much does he actually need to prepare himself? I have no idea what he's been doing training wise, and but I know we've got we've got the cap space for it. But I mean, there's only so long you can wait when you're a player that level. It's the same with Logan Ryan, like saying how he wanted that ten million, but we got a couple of weeks before the season starting, and then suddenly he's took a twenty five percent discount on that. So you never know. The same thing might happen with Clowney. There's going to be there's plenty of time for teams to 
take on injuries and other things that have sitting out for COVID that could cause teams to be like, okay, well, here's this player available. We've just got to go for it. And I'm thinking it's probably a matter of time before a team does pull the trigger on him, but it might be like a one-year deal as a, same as what Beasley's got as a prove it for us, because that's what he got in Seattle, wasn't it? Yeah, I th- he didn't prove it in their eyes no, exactly. or prove it to the money that he wanted. Um, and I, he's been terribly advised by Buzz Cookie's agent, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know where he'll end up. I hope he doesn't end up in Tennessee, but if he does, it'll be because of Mike Vrabel. Yes. But I watched Mike Vrabel call a defence in 2017, and it was not pretty. Is that a concern as you go into this year with Dean Pease uh, leaving? Because Dean Pease was... You know, a bit, you know, a very well respected, long time in the league, but also very creative. Still, right, you know, until last season, impressive in what he did. Is that a concern with Rabel's going to do that, or is it, you know, maybe Shane Bowen that will take the headset? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not one that I've been losing sleep over as a concern. It's more, I don't know. I'm hoping that he's 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 learned a lot over the past couple of years from Pease with how to run the defense. It's going to be one of them where we're going to have to see early on. Um, Ideally, obviously, I would have loved Pease to continue because, like you said, he's so much more creative. But if he's passed on anything to Vrabel and they're seeing the way that Vrabel gets involved in training in all positions, I'm really hoping that he's managed to pick up just even just a small percentage of what was on offer and then he can try and work on that too. Because on paper, we have got a good defense. Yeah, talking about learning from, from people that are there, I think Arthur Smith's probably a great example of that in terms of under Lafleur, under uh, Malarkey and, you know, various coaches there, he's kind of worked his way through the building, um, is probably quite an underrated play caller. And, he, you know, he, sh- he showed certainly in Tannehill's 10-game stretch about how creative he could be and, and how he could, you know, run multiple plays off the same looks and, and disguise, you know, reasonably simple concepts. But the, but it, they were effective in the way in which they, they based their game plan around Tannehill. Of that 10-game ten, ten stretch, how much do you think that, can translate to this season and how sustainable in which the way they, they were so successful on explosive plays last year um, in, in that 10-game stretch. How can that translate to a full 16-game slate? But when Tannehill came in, it was almost like it was just the right fit from that 10-game stretch. He was he was arguably one of the most successful uh, quarterbacks of the season. And in terms of our system, you know what you're going to get for us to a point it's an exotic sort of smash mouth system where it's Derek Henry's going to get the ball and he's going to keep on running it but with the addition now of having Tannehill and then AJ Brown who should have really got rookie of the uh, rookie of the offensive rookie of the year last year I feel like them having an off season to really gel I can really see us pushing on from where we were I mean teams know we're going to run the ball but even when we got to the playoffs it didn't get stopped only until it came to Kansas where they managed to slow us down. And, I mean, if Kansas are going to be the team to stop you, then, um, you know, they went on to win it, so you can't complain too much. I think the way that Henry was playing towards the end of the season, if it continues that way, but we can then build on introducing a bit more schemes with A.J. Brown and I think Johnny Smith, who's a very underrated tight end, and now Delaney Walker's out the building, it's very much his role now. I'm hoping that Tannehill can gel even more than he already has with those guys and really push on. Um, I went into my sort of optimism for the season thinking we've kept hold of Tannehill, we've kept hold of Henry and the offense hasn't really changed with the one exception of losing a right tackle. It's going to be the same offense, which I think is key to the confidence that we had rolling. Some people think it was a fluke that we got to the playoffs and beating Baltimore and beating the Patriots, but it's still going to give that team confidence to when they're playing in Denver and everywhere else. It's like, we've done it in a playoff game against Baltimore and it was this exact offense. And I feel like that's only going to keep going. So I'm hoping it's the start. I'm not going to say like the start of a dynasty like the Patriots had, but I'm really hoping that because there hasn't been wholesale changes, they can really push on next season and keep going with it. And do you, and do you think that momentum that they gained last year, obviously they were a couple of games away from you know, kicking some field goals and, and potentially could have picked up one or two results early last year, mm-hmm. which they didn't. And then they, they built that momentum. How much of that momentum do you think was favourable matchups versus, you know, good, you know, really high performing execution offence? Or was it, or, or do you think, you know, a team like Baltimore where weren't used to playing from behind or teams running it down their throat, they were used to doing 
that exact uh, mm. that exact you know offense to other teams. Yeah. Obviously, Patriots you know probably caught them at a good time. Got beat of Miami <laughs> in the last uh, you know beat Miami la- in the yeah. in the last week, which you know slipped out the seed, allowed Kansas City to go up, and then mm-hmm. they got the home field advantage. So it all changed very quickly at the end of last year, and it can although it seems like a long time ago. How much of that do you think? Was the offense and just you know you know firing, or was or was it the fact that you know they had favorable matchups, but albeit they played well, mm. but but the, the matchups were there to exploit for them. Who thought was going to happen with the Patriots game, especially in the playoffs? It was it was a, a game that for some reason I was going in with confidence, and like to go into a, a game against the Patriots in the playoffs is is never a situation where you should be confident. But in the second half, they didn't score a point on us. And that was something that I noticed towards the end of the season. I was just saying before that the defense really stepped up after half time. They really reacted to what was being put in front of them. So to completely shut out the Patriots in the second half of a playoff game is unbelievable. I mean, the Baltimore game, in truth, they were arguably one of the best um, non-regular season teams that you've seen for the past, what, 10, 20 years in the way they were playing. And I agree that I think. The way that we scored so quickly, the consecutive touchdowns, really was like a sucker punch. And the way that we stopped them on fourth down, which all season they'd been successful. I think they have they had like the highest rating for fourth down conversions that we've seen for an awful long time. But the way our defense, again, stepped up and stopped it, really sort of shook the whole stadium. I mean, we had Greg, who was at the game and he can talk about the atmosphere there and it was like it was like everyone was just looking at each other in complete shock at what was going on. So in terms of the matchups, playoff wise, ideally no one wants to play the Patriots in the playoffs, but we proved ourselves and I think it was the defense that won that game. And then I think in the Baltimore game, although we scored well on them, again the defense really stepped up and stopped Lamar Jackson doing what he had done successfully through the uh, regular season. Um with regard to the regular season itself the matchups were there were some there were some matchups where we thought oh we can get a result here especially against the Jags which will continue this season for sure because they're just a complete mess at the moment but offensively we were still every week we seemed to just be getting better and more confident and it was like okay it worked this week it's worked this week so although the matchups weren't some of the most difficult games I felt like the way that the offense just gelled instantly the moment Tannehill came in it was almost like you just introduce someone that was like, this was the missing piece. Everything slots together now and everything's going to work in union, which is what happened. The running game benefited because teams couldn't just say, oh, they're going to run the football because they had to account for AJ Brown and they had to account for others. And even then when you do stack the box against Henry, it still didn't make a difference because he's a giant of a man. But I think there, there there was a good mix of, yeah, we didn't have the most difficult fixtures to play against but at the same time the Montana Hill came in and the confidence on that offense just grew and grew every single week and then we carried it into the playoffs luckily yeah and I think you're right there's there's an element of that offense um that has a, a, a run after catch ability mm. um and you know there's certainly reports that they're trying to you know incorporate Derek Henry into the passing game so that, that there's you know it's possible possibility I think you know to have new wrinkles and make you know the you know, sort of account for the, those, you know, all those plays that did sort of fall into place in a way when, that that just has the habit of doing so when you do pick up momentum. Yes. Um. You know, there's there's possibilities to sort of mitigate some of those kind of regression to the means kind of, you know, you know, outward outwardly, you know, setting stats that, that, that definitely, you know, help help Tennessee build that that sort of momentum. In terms of the the weaknesses of this team, is there is there is there any particular facets that that concern you that think you know, that could catch them out, if, if, if any. Well, I mean, the, the kicking game at the moment, not the punter, because we have the best punter in the league, but the kicking game, like we lost a game to Buffalo last year solely on the fact that we couldn't score a field goal. Um, I know there's rumours at the moment, I think, where Charlie Gustavski and a couple of others. Um, so I'd, as silly as it sounds, I'd love to get just like a solid kicker sorted. If you can find me another like Justin Tucker to just play, and you know that you'd, like 89% of the time you're going to be safe with, field goals and that would fill me with confidence um other weaknesses though I mean I mean realistically I have to say the cornerbacks even though I like Adore Jackson losing Logan Ryan there is going to be people that are going right okay they've lost that now we've got to target these players who haven't been the main guys um so I mean obviously you guys losing Hopkins is huge for our cornerbacks because they don't have to worry about that 
Um, but for other teams, when they're putting their number one receiver against us, now it's not going to be Ryan, it's going to be Butler. That, to me, a little bit scares me, but hopefully he'll get the help from Kevin Byard and Vaccaro um, to be able to try and prevent that from being too much of an issue. I think our offensive line is very good still. I don't have an issue with running back or quarterback. Um, tight end, I like Johnny Smith. AJ Brown, I think last year had a brilliant season. If he continues the same way, that'll be great. But now we've got Corey Davis, who's got a sort of show-yourself season. He's really got to step up this year or he's not going to be at the team next year. So he's really got to prove himself. But outside of that, I think we do have strong players in each position. Um, our defensive line, despite losing Casey, is going to gain Simmons on a full season. So I think that's going to be a real big beast for him. So if I was an offensive coordinator, I'd be targeting the DBs as much as possible rather than trying to run it down us because I think our linebackers are suited for playing that way. I'd be targeting our cornerbacks as much as possible, but hopefully Butler and Jackson prove me wrong and they really step up this year. And then with Fulton being the addition, they can really step up. And I mean, it's a nice thing to say that I feel like our kicker is our weakness. Um, whether or not I get proven wrong very early, we'll see. But I am quietly confident with the team that we have built over the past few years. And is there a player on this team that you just don't think people have maybe quite woken up to the fact yet, you know, that that are, you know, so maybe because I always think that most of the kind of media cycles probably a year behind and players mm. that make the Pro Bowl, well, the Pro Bowl counts for a huge amount these days, but the <laughs> players that make the Pro Bowl, it's probably about a year after when their actual play warranted it. Is, is there any guys on this roster you think people should be keeping an eye out for this year? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was always, uh, I mentioned before, Howard Landry, despite the fact that he had a good season last year in terms of like sack performance and stuff, still doesn't get talked about anywhere near as much as I feel he should do. And it's the same with Evans, our linebacker. But it, it's almost like it's uh, the Titans have always been, and they justified it for the way they've played the past few years, but they're, they're, a, they're a boring team. They're not an exciting team to be raving about. Obviously, Derek Henry is everywhere at the moment because of obviously the title he got last year. But no one really talks about the defensive players on the Titans. So for me, Howard Laundrie is is someone who's only going to get better. Um, and I hope that he continues from last year. Um, Johnny Smith again. He's been getting a little bit of notice because they've realised that he is the number one tight end at the Titans. And he's he's very similar to what young Delaney Walker was, which is a obviously a big statement to make. But he's the same sort of build. He's arguably quicker and he's got great hands on him, but he's also a really good run blocker. So I'm really hoping that he steps up again. But they're the main two that I really feel like the media aren't talking about. But if your name's not Tannehill or Derek Henry, you're not really getting talked about much anyway uh, at the Titans. Yeah, and it kind of seemed like the, the front office handled their business in terms of, you know, the running back and quarter, quarterback contracts. It's mm. not easy to do that. Obviously, no. the suppressed market for running backs kind of passes the leverage to the to the front office in that sense to give them slightly above what the tag would have been and it kind of sort of, you know, it lays the parameters itself. Mm. For the Tannehill deal, is that one that you think will, will see it's, you know I, know, I know a lot of contracts don't see all the way through these days, but is that one that you think you'll look back on in three years' time and think, yeah, I think they got that right? I'm certainly hoping so. Um, I know I stuck my neck out on our podcast saying that I really feel like this is going to be the beginning of a him and him and Henry now can push on for the next few years because... I mean, personally, I didn't see Henry getting the deal. It was last minute when it was done off the franchise tag to actually sign him up. But he's always been quiet, so he, he kept himself to himself. He wasn't one of these loud people that were like, oh, I'm going to sit out or anything. I almost feel like he justified it because he got the title. He works his butt off. He just works so hard that he deserved getting that. With Tannehill, it's a big deal. It's, it's, it's a big contract for someone who, you know, done it over 10 games. It's not like he's done it over a few seasons. The way that the offense just switched and it was just like, where has this been the whole time? I think he's earned it. As much as, will I say, will he be there in the next three years? Um, I'd like to think so. We certainly, this year, we did draft a quarterback who we have since dropped. So we've got Trevor Simeon, who's in as a backup now. Personally, to me, that shows that we're not exactly bringing in someone young for the future. So for at least the next few years, they want Tannehill to be the main guy. So he earned the contract and now it's a, Right, it's all done with. You don't need to worry about contract talk. Just push on and see if we can do that next step from where we got last season. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, considering, you know, if you think Mahomes is in the, albeit it's a lot of in future earnings, but, you know, is, you know, towards 50 million, so for 29 and a half over a four year, which is effectively a two year deal, and then get out of it for a 10 million dead cap hit in 2022. I, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily the worst deal and probably one you kind of have to make. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, for me, I remember watching him as Texas A&M as a wide receiver. So it's it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not that long ago. So it'd be, you know, I think there's a, there's definitely a, 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 you know, an inflection point, I think just similar as there is with the Colts about, mm -hmm. you know, how, how, how well does Rivers come in and do that. But obviously you've got Tannehill's had the experience of being in the system. Yeah. last off season to, to to benefit so yeah i i think you know can can he complement the the run game as much as he did off the play action will be the big thing that everybody's looking for to understand if if you know what this kind of offense is has got has got in its locker that this year um in terms of the schedule then we kind of touched on you got month you're kicking off monday night football and, uh at denver um and and then you, you, the Jags in Minnesota, but I think the the first stretch you get those key stretch of games that kind of define sort of a season. And you you know you got Minnesota and the Steelers and Houston and Tennessee play them uh, weeks about. Uh, but then you got the Bills who are a kind of form team very much mm -hmm. in belief from last year. Um, so the Steelers, Bills, and then Houston bit before the buy three games all at home. You see that being probably you know a really key stretch to kind of set up your twenty twenty season. And, if they and probably going to have to win, you know, at least two of those if they if they want to be in contention in the AFC South. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, especially of how it falls, where we'll, we'll we would have played the Jags and then, like you said, to then have the Vikings, Steelers, and Bills. Who, I mean, for all purposes, free all three of them teams have a very good defense. Um, granted, the Vikings ones aging a little bit. Obviously, they've just got Ngakwe, who will make a big difference to them, but they are definitely going to be the key fixtures because towards the end of the season, I'm more confident in games against Detroit and Green Bay than I am against the Steelers and the Bills especially. Um, and then to play, obviously, the uh, Texans before that bye week as well is going to be one of them where if we can go into that where, let's say we can get four out of six games as wins, we can really push on from the bye week then because to then take on the Bengals and then I think it's the Bears, it's really where we've then got a um, see where the teams are halfway through the season. So, yeah, certainly Pittsburgh and Bills back-to-back -back games are ones where we've really got to try and get a result out of there. Um, and from then on, we can sort of pick and choose other games. There are games against like the Ravens where, as much as everyone wants to say that, oh, we've done it once, why can't we do it again? The Ravens is going to be a tough game. Um, and obviously, we've got that in between two games against the Colts, who are a very physical team. So that will be a big tester for them. But I think early on, we've really got to show teams that last year wasn't a fluke. If we if we start the season with only two wins, for example, straight away the media is going to be on it like exactly what I just said. Last year was a fluke. They got lucky. They played teams at the right time. Whereas if we can start the season the other way around, teams will have to take us more seriously, which I, I hope they already will. But I can really see that being something that could happen where after the bye week, if we're 4-2, and 5-1, Teams like the Bengals and Chicago are suddenly going to be like, oh, wow, these are the real deal sort of thing. So, And we would have had time to prepare for it longer with that bye week. So it's really about, yeah, taking a foothold and showing what we can do early on. It feels like in, in terms of the the schedule makers have given, you know, Tennessee a, a decent deal ranked, you know, which doesn't always count for the huge amount, but the, the 20th toughest schedule in terms of last year's win total. Coming out of the bye, they've got Cincinnati and then in Chicago. Um, prior to that, that sort of double header uh, against Indy with Baltimore Sammers in between, that kind of feels like by that point, you know, you'll have played, you know, all but two of your divisional games, and after that Indy game, you'll probably, I would think, have a good idea if uh, if 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 this rival led teams in contention, the FC South. And prior to playing Houston for in week seventeen for the second June, it was also a trip to Green Bay. Do you, do you see at that point, you know, the sort of last two games competing? Because I think there's definitely a theory out there that the FC South with the additional playoff team could quite possibly yield three playoff teams. Um, I said it in our, our own podcast and it was called a little bit crazy by some people on Twitter, but I actually don't mind playing Green Bay at that time of year there. I think if there's, if there's, I'm sort of praying for a snow game. Could you imagine playing a snow game against Derek Henry? Um. So I, I feel like out of all the times that you could have asked me when do I want to play Green Bay, 
that probably would have been the time for her. Obviously, there's a couple of other teams that I might have preferred to have played ahead of them. But, yeah, it's really going to be... I think after that Jags game uh, mid-December, it's going to be one of them where when we know we've got three games left, how how hard do we have to go for it? I agree with the extra um, wild card that we've got now that will make a big difference to how teams are going to push. But there, there's every chance that, I mean, we're, we're Houston ourselves and... Even though I greatly hate to admit it, the Colts could be there as well. I don't think the Jags will be, but it could be that the three teams could certainly be pushing towards them spots. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a veteran type of year, and you've heard that in, in many different guises over the off season in terms of you know limited draft classes, which Tennessee did, you know, and not too many changes in terms of you know the starters and inverted commas on both sides of the ball is going to make a big difference. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's as we said, we're nine days away from the kickoff. Um, it yeah. feels like being a, a long old off season, um, but it feels like <laughs> we're almost getting there. Miles uh, from joining us from the Transatlantic Titans podcast. Thank you very much for your time. We much appreciate. Oh no worries. And uh, at one point we will get our history back. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Miles. And join us for the final part of our look around the AFC South preview for the 2020 season for your Houston Texans. We're joined by Rob from Jags Across the Pond. Rob, how you doing? Very good, thank you, mate. Thank you for having me. No, thanks for your time. Thanks for your time. Your team's been um, in the news a fair bit recently. Uh, how about we start with Jalen Ramsey on uh, Hard Knocks saying the day he got traded was the best day of his life? Questionable comments, I think, but uh, Ayo, he's going to be, I think he's that sort of character, isn't he? So I think everyone's got to try and uh, bite their tongue with it and just let him do what he wants to do at the minute. But until he gets paid, he's got to, he's still got to prove him, like he's worth to the Rams. So yeah, I'll let him talk as much as he wants to at the moment. And um, another piece from that sort of, probably looking back on it, people have described it as a generational defence. Yannick Ngokwe is traded to Minnesota. What did you make of that? And what did you make of the compensation? Um, in terms of the timing, obviously, how late it was and obviously the big like show business aspect it had to it in terms of how it all went about and how it all unfolded, I think to get a second and a conditional fifth that could obviously go to a third is probably as much as we were going to get for him. I think obviously we, I truly feel we only, I think we only really got the second because he was willing to take a pay cut. And obviously the Vikings would have boasted a little bit more to give us that second. Otherwise, I think it could have been a little bit lower. So I think it was a case of just taking what we could get at the time. But again, he's another one that's gone now. We've just got to take what we've got from him and hopefully try and build on something, although it's really bleak at the moment, to try and think anything positive about the whole franchise. And then another top 10 pick, a piece that was you know, picked over a number of high-profile and successful players, Leonard Fournette. Looked good his rookie year. Um, probably some off-field distractions, etc., but never quite pieced it all together. Um, what do you make of the cutting of him? Yeah, so, again, I think with the comments that Doug Marone's come out with recently in terms of stating that they didn't really get anything for him, whether it be a fifth, sixth-round pick, um, I thought this was inevitable. I think they were just waiting out to see what they could get from him. But in terms of reports that I've read today, as of they were filming, um, obviously, it seems to be not just the back office and obviously the coaches. I think it seemed to be more of a whole play and a whole whole franchise standpoint that it kind of got to a point where it was like his attitude was not really what it needed to be. And it, he kind of still held on to that, that, that 2017 tag of obviously what they tried to get rid of, really. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's unusual. Um, obviously, with all of it happening so quickly, but um, yeah, and it's a lot to digest. But uh, again, it's just a it's a typical Jags way. I think everyone that follows the Jags knows that they're covered in some sort of controversy. So it's kind of no a no shock to anybody. I think that around the league, obviously, with yourself, support the Texans. I think everyone can see that it's uh, it just sounds business as usual for the Jags sometimes. I think. And twelve draft picks in a season which was kind of played by potential uncertainty. What are you made? Obviously, we've been reduced to holding on to training camp reports and some of them are probably there for a reason rather than necessarily being the true reflection of what's going on. And, of course, they're subjective. But what do you make of, of the new additions? And do you see any of those guys contributing in year one considering shortened off-season, etc.? Uh, so in terms of, obviously, the picks, 
overall, again, I thought it was a good draft class myself. I thought we picked well at the spots we were at. Again, I, as I stated before, I thought we'd see some movement with the two first round picks and maybe some of the lower picks that we did have. I thought we could really adjust around the board, but I think it was taken on need. And obviously with Ramsey going and obviously then getting rid of Boyer, we needed to fill that corner position. So CJ Henderson was a good pickup for us. Um, athletically, probably the best corner in the draft. Um, obviously behind Jeff Okuda in terms of picked in that class. But I think overall he's a better athlete and he does really suit the system as I think we are looking to go still down that road of the Seattle scheme that, uh, that Todd Walsh obviously runs. Um, obviously, you ve- we rarely see any man-to-man within that. Obviously, we're lucky to have Jalen there doing that. So that really helped us out during the 2017 season and whatnot. But obviously, I think we are looking to more of a zone a zone defence, which again, he kind of suits uh, when he was playing at Florida. So that's obviously a good one in that aspect. Kayvon and Chase, I'm really pleased with. I thought we got him a little bit lower than what I thought he'd go. So that was a really good pick. Again, obviously, he's going to try and hopefully mirror what Josh Allen did last year in his rookie year and hopefully progress. Obviously, injuries are a little bit of a concern, but overall, I'm excited to see what he can really do. And then obviously down the draft, I think, again, I think it was just addressing need. So obviously last year, we was well documented that we couldn't really stop the run. Um, a good game I know about that, obviously, with, with the Titans, obviously playing your guys' detections at Wembley, we couldn't really seem to stop anything uh, in regard on the run. So that was a, a big eye-opener. So again, they addressed that with, um, obviously, Dave on Hamilton. Um, LaVisca Chenault in the second round. That's, again, another versatile receiver that adds to our really good group, I feel. Uh, and I think he could end up being playing a pivotal part in terms of what we want to try and do under Jay Gruden and hopefully see some different looks with him around, obviously, which he did at Colorado as well. So, and obviously, then down the board, again, we're just looking at people that have really good attitudes. A few little sneak ones lower down, obviously. Colin Johnson coming out of Texas, wide receiver. He's someone that we've been calling out for for a while, a big-bodied receiver, especially in the red zone, because we are fairly terrible in the red zone over the last few years. So to give Minshew a big target in the red zone will be really, really handy. Uh, and he's one for myself that I want to try and account for and think he'll get a lot of action as the season goes on. From from all the reports I've, I've read, David LaVisca Chenault, um, you know, was injury prone, but he, he's got a lot of potential as a returner and as well as, you know, somebody that can play in the slot. Along with that, um, with his versatility, I think it does allow D.D. Uh, Westbrook to go back into the slot where I think he favours and he's been pushed out of that position in recent years. So to have some, um, some normality back for him, uh, will be good, but again, again, obviously, if you've got if you've got two players that are very good within the slot, I think it's really it's really really good. And again, if he can stay healthy, I know he's a bit of a bruiser. I know that um, yards after the catch are a big a big part of his game. He's he's very tough to bring down. I know I saw it in some of his film. Um, two or three defenders were hanging on to him at some times, and he was still gaining yards. So that that for me shows he's got a really good toughness about him. And hopefully, all being well, he can stay fit, and obviously, we can see the best of him. And um and also the you know guys like. Um, Shaq Quarterman as well, the backer from Miami. I think they were all guys that you know certainly you know had set, had positivity around their their stock because they were coming out. So I think on the on the face of it, it's great. I think in terms of you know the potential years, but as it pertains to 2020, um, you know you've probably got Moreau and then Caldwell in there in a unique position where they're trying to rebuild, but they've maintained their job. How long do you see? those guys get into to rebuild the team and the culture like you mentioned um and and what's what's kind of the the sort of floor for them they need to achieve if they want to be here doing this in 21 yeah so that's a really good question actually and i see a lot of reports about several different things me personally i think all they've got really on their side is the fact that the team is very very young and obviously the future is ahead of this team going forward obviously they've got rid of a lot of the older players a lot of the big money players and kind of addressed how they want to go about it. And I think as well with the capital we have next year also, and again, who knows, you might even end up trading some other players as well. So we might end up with more stock next year. So that could be a quite an interesting one in terms of how they see them getting on. I think it's hard to tell with Shard Khan. I think he's he's an owner that keeps his cards close to his chest. And I don't think anyone will really find out how he really feels about Moron and Colwood to the public. So I really feel they're on their last legs and, I've had some different theories about it, like having Jay Gruden as your OC and a former head coach. I think the writing could be on the wall for, for maybe him stepping up if Marone did uh, did end up taking the axe for obviously a, a bad season this year. And again, I think Dave Caldwell, he's had five top uh, top five picks over the last seven years or so. And obviously none of them were the team now. So 
he's identifying the talent, but we can't really seem to keep hold of that. And I think he's really hoping for a big culture change to try and solidify his position and show that he's still got some worth as a GM of the as a franchise, really. There's obviously the you mentioned earlier the, the London link and obviously the Texans played played in Wembley last year against against the Jags and um in terms of the kind of wider plans for Shad Khan, I know he's invested a lot in the, the Jacksonville area, and it's kind of always seems a kind of odd one when you know from from you know from a varying different perspectives that, that, that they'd be mooted to, to play abroad. Obviously, that wasn't you know put into the current CBA, and um, so you know you think it was now unfeasible for the next decade. But do you think that's something that's just it's just kind of uh, fantasyful talk. You think to keep keep a certain audience interested, or do you think there's actually some substance to the to the reports? You know that, that he was looking to move and or buy Wembley or or the various things he he he's meant to do in the background. Um, and obviously he's got the links to to Fulham, etc. But do you think that that's a, a, a realistic path? You know, whether it be you know in 15, 20 years time, or or do you think it's kind of you know, a lot and about nothing. And I mean, personally, it would be a nightmare for a divisional opponent to have to, <laughs> to do that every year. Um, but what do you, what's, what's the kind of feeling from the people that you speak to? Yeah, so many people that I listen to, I speak to and I read about, um, I really feel it's a big smokescreen. I think, obviously, because he has one foot over over here in the in the UK, obviously with Fulham and being um, obviously their owner, I feel he's just trying to, tie into that and try and get some sort of link with that as it goes along. I really feel that the pride of the franchise is in is in Jacksonville. Um, obviously, we've only been a franchise for not even three decades. So it's a case of that that um, that empowerment of obviously what Jacksonville is to those people. It, it's, it's me where it's got to stay. Um, obviously, from a greedy point of view, I'd love to see us play over here all the time and whatnot. But um, I think overall, there's got to be some realism to it. And obviously I think the NFL would have to do a lot of digging in terms of finding out the actual reason to why they want to do this, this and that. And I feel that myself, I think yourself do as well. Obviously the international games over here is a, is a massive success. And obviously the Jaguars are a big part of that because they play over every year. Um, but I think it'd be really difficult with Jags, with the Jags being a team that they are at the moment. I think it could be a, hard to try and really engross that audience to follow a team that has really struggled, especially over the last 10, 15 years, um, to try and get behind and make it a success over here. Um, so I think really staying over in Jacksonville is a, is a better idea long term. And I think it's a lot of smoke screen and mirrors for me, if I'm honest. Jacksonville are used to kind of giving up home field advantage um, and, you know, you know, being the, the the poster child for the league in terms of those London games. Um for a team that's done that consistently over the last few years, um, giving up home games and home field advantage. Now, I mean, Jacksonville's not necessarily, you know, the, there's always the joke about the tarpaulin on the top tier, but is the, is the is losing that home field advantage, obviously you're taking the travel out of it this year, but, you know, there's other mitigating factors. How much do you think that has affected the team's momentum over the years by you know, not having that consistency, you know, of the home crowd or even the home stadium, um, you know, week to week throughout the season. Because certainly a new factor that, you know, all, all 32 teams will have to have to work with this year. That's a big factor you just said then, obviously, home field advantage. And obviously, I've been to several games now at Wembley and being a Jags fan and watching them there, I can safely say it's it's, it's not home field advantage at all. You get fans from different, different sides. Obviously, they see their teams or their favourite teams that they want to follow. And it really doesn't have that edge. And I think... I think along with others, I think home field advantage in the NFL is a massive, massive thing. Um, but then again, if if they can't generate the crowds over at TIA Bank Stadium, then I don't think it's it's kind of a catch-22, what-do-you-do sort of thing. But I really feel that play over there, because again, teams come over to Jacksonville, and again, obviously, first part of the season, it's a really horrible place to play because the, the heat does get to many, many teams that come down. Um obviously with the Pats coming a few years ago when it was the hottest game recorded. Um, like aspects like that where the team was so used to playing those conditions and they could get everyone behind them, a packed house. Those sort of elements really do swing in your favour, especially when you're a franchise that does seem to be struggling quite a bit. Um, but then again, there's more to it than just football, obviously, with the, with the Jacks. Turning to on the field matters. You know, Foles is out. He came in last year. Uh, Minshew came in 
you know, when she went back out after the, the London game, um, only to re- reclaim his place later in the year. You know, there's a lot of fanfare around Gardner Minshew and his, you know, and his character, and you know, some of his play was, you know, for a rookie, you know, in a late round pick coming out of Washington State under Coach Leach. You know, you could see he could spread the ball around. Where do you see his playing ability now that that films out in 2020, and what do you think he can he can bring to the, this offense on a consistent week to week basis? Yeah, so coming in last year, obviously, I, I really don't think he would have expected to have much playing time at all with. Uh, with us spending a lot of cash on foals, but obviously week one straight in. Uh, in terms of no prep, I think it, in terms of having no prep in terms of coming against the Chiefs, I think it probably would have benefited him because he could just go out there and really just play his own game. Again, the offence last year under John Filippo was not designed for him. It was a very false heavy offence in terms of how we did everything. Um, but in terms of what Michelle had to work with, I thought overall we did really well. People were forgetting at times that he's a six-round pick. Um, and some of those tendencies are going to creep in at times, which I think they did overall during the season. Sometimes he did get found out, um, some through his own mistakes, some through the team, obviously O-line not really performing, obviously receivers couldn't get open, obviously, and then obviously, obviously some teams just shutting it down, really. Um, but in terms of going forward, um, 2020, Jay Gruden, a very creative mind with a West Coast offense brain, I really feel that we could really benefit and he could really benefit, um, especially as, as an individual under Jay Gruden, um, with certain weapons, we're learning how to use these weapons. And obviously, um, with Minshew, a big part about it, he was very successful on a lot of play actions last year, a lot of deep throwing, um, which John Filippo didn't really call his way. And I think Druden will be a little bit more beneficial to him in trying to help him out in that aspect. And we've got a really quick receiving court, so um, plenty of deep shots down the field, anything across the middle we've got good hands for in there. And I think that will really suit his game as he did seem to excel at that last year. And again, he can move around in the pocket. He's, he's shown several times, I think, that, I think notably against the Broncos, he's a kid, he can make things happen if he needs to. But obviously, again, everything for that has got to click for him to work, for that to work. But I do feel if he can really, or if he has got the grasp over training camp, although be it, it's been a short time uh, with Jay Gruden and obviously what he said also, I think it, it does seem really positive for the side. Obviously, everything around it and the speculation regarding everything has probably put a damper on it. But in terms of in terms of that, he is one of the bright sparks that the, that the franchise has to look forward to going forward. And in terms of Minshew's ability to have a balanced offense with, you know, Fournette going out the door, how do you, do you see them being able to run the ball consistently? Because from a on-paper talent standpoint, that, like, that line should be able to move some bodies, I think. But it, it's never quite, you know, Norwell's never quite played up to that contract. You know, Cam Robinson had injuries last year and there was a bit of, you know, a rotating door at various positions along the starting five. Do you see that, you know, being able to run the ball and um, and, and and then and then balance the offense out with long shots to guys like Shark and then potentially Chenault as the year goes on, obviously with the, you know, with the guys that have been there a few more years as well? Yeah, so again, for me, obviously, again, to the four net point in terms of him going, I was quite surprised because all the things I've read about Jay Gruden and I've seen about him, he does like to use running backs as effectively as possible, especially in third down situations. He just seen them as quite big. Um, obviously, that's where the Titans play quite a big role in terms of extra blocking for the O-line. Um, but obviously, with Raquel Armstead not really performing in, in camp, obviously Chris Thompson just coming in, they're the two notable players are seemingly going to have their hands on the ball. And it's going to be, instead of having your bell cow like Fournette, be able to push his way over, I think it's going to be a bit more tippy-toe in around the line and trying to find those little holes that we can break through. Um, so with Fournette being on the roster still, if he was, I think we would have had a good percentage of of runs in the um, in the offense. But I think now it's going to be maybe not somewhat predictable, but I think it could be a little bit difficult in terms of trying to convince teams that we are being a, we're going to be able to pound the rock. Although the O line has got better, as you say, Norwood's not really performing, so we're hoping to see some from him. Cam Robinson, I've heard, has looked really really good in camp. So is Juwan Taylor at right tackle. And then the additions of Ben Barch, obviously, in the draft as well. That's, the, that's another good pickup for us to really bolster that out and try and, as you say, move some bodies around. But I think that will be a weakness, and I think it might bring a little bit of predictability. Again, I don't know. No one knows until it all starts. So I think the only thing that the team has going for is all these teams have had very little time to prepare or have any sort of film from preseason games. And in terms of the weaknesses on this team, where do you, I know obviously there's been a huge turnover of personnel on the defensive side of the ball. Where do you see? 
potentially the biggest weaknesses in this team that could see them becoming unstuck, particularly within the division. Yeah, so for me, I thought going on FMA weaknesses a second, but obviously in terms of all three teams in the division, they've got really good running back groups or running backs as a as a lonesome. So I thought we did really well in, like, in addressing that. But obviously with some of the opt-outs that we've had uh, through the year with Rodney Gunter, Aaron Lynch going away, they're two big players that we felt that could help us also Amazon with our woods. So I think that interior D-line may struggle a little bit, although we do have Taven Bryan, Dewan Smoot, and obviously David Hamilton there, which will probably work well again uh, with us. But I feel that that could be a little bit of a weakness. But I think our biggest concern is probably our secondary. Uh, obviously, we've got CJ Henderson as a rookie, Trey Herndon, um, who's had a bit of an up-and-down camp. And obviously, then our, our safety group is quite underwhelming in terms of what it was in years past, obviously in 2017, notably with the championship team. But I really feel, because this year we do play a, a fair amount of teams, do have good receiving groups. So I think overall, we probably may get found out a little bit, especially if we can't get any pressure to the quarterback um, quickly enough. Uh, and obviously, if we can't really seem to obviously hold our zones well enough and obviously shut down these really, really good receivers that we're going to go up against, I think that could be a big area of concern for us going forward. And where do you see the biggest surprise? Because I think Jacksonville, it feels like it's kind of playing the house money, a lot of draft picks, potentially, as we said, another re- a kind of rebuilding year, if you like, or an evolution of the of the team. What do you see being as the biggest surprise, you know, for, from, you know, from a Jacksonville point of view that they'll take as positives to build upon? Um, yeah, so for me, I think, I think in terms of overall, I think the youth of the side and obviously the mentality of the different players that we do have on the roster, obviously bringing in Joe Schobert uh, was a massive addition for us. And we have lapsed that main middle linebacker since Poz, obviously retired, but obviously Paul Bezlesny. So obviously we've lacked that. And I think that will help free up Miles Jack um, going forward. But I think in terms of just youth players that are going to have a chance to really excel without these big names being here on big money. And I think it's a, it's a case of, as I've stated many times, it's a, it's a step up for mainly self-counted, obviously, for the size. Um, obviously, I think in terms of the overall, I think the offence is, is a real excitement for me. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of games this year where we'll be kept in many games through our offence. Uh, nothing against our defence, but I think we've just got that. We've got a good enough receiving court to cause teams a lot of trouble. Um, and obviously, the defence will lack a little bit because obviously we've lost big names. But I think overall, the offence as a whole, in terms of, if you go back to your original question, I think the offence is a real excitement for me. And I think that we will see some really good flashes and then hopefully taking that to 2021 after this whole year and some normalities come back to it regarding wherever we are in the draft and whatnot like that. But in terms of the defensive side of the ball, um, I think our D tackles in terms of Taven Bryan and Duan Smoot, I think they're going a little bit under the radar. Obviously, they ended last year on a good note. Obviously, Taven Bryan being our first round pick from a couple of years ago, um, he has a lot to prove. And I think the back end of last year, he was slowly filling those boots and showing why we picked him where we did. And then Duan Smoot, he's been with the team a fair while now, more on a rotational basis. But um, people went on about, obviously, obviously yanking Gotway's numbers uh, for us. But in terms of Duan Smoot, he's also had some real good success, especially last year. I think he ended up with about eight or so sacks, uh, which for him was probably his best year. And again, he just, he's shown good productivity, but obviously in a more rotational basis. So hopefully seeing him on the field a lot more may hopefully encourage um, him to get some good reps out of it and hopefully give the D-line as much success as possible because I think it does really need it. Yeah, just looking at the the schedule uh, for the Jags this year, obviously, um, Houston or uh, Houston are welcome Jacksonville in week five. Um, and then you, you coming out of the bay, you, you've got a trip to LA and then, and then the Texans will visit Jacksonville on November 8th. What, what do you see the schedule shaping up like I think that you know I think Indianapolis if you look at their schedule it's reasonably user friendly at the start I think you know the Titans have got a couple of tough patches um, you know of three game stretches that will define theirs where do you see this the schedule and where do you see the pinch points for for how that will define the, this 2020 season for the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah so as I've said before on, on other shows and whatnot I think the first, I think the first four games, especially before we do play you, um, are massive because, as you, as I said before, everyone's had the same amount of time together 
no one's got any film to go off of in terms of what teams are doing. So the best time for the Jets to really strike if they are to, to win as many games and put some good film on uh, on tape, um, I think is the first four games, especially obviously with the Colts be a tough game opening up um, and then the Titans. But I think especially we've got the Dolphins and the Bengals back to back. I think there's real good chances to at least get two wins out of those four. And I think with everything that's going on at the minute, that'll be a good start for us to try and get some wins under our belts. But then obviously, as you say, going going to you in week five and obviously then after that just get a little bit tricky and then again the back end of the year does get tough obviously with as I said Ravens the Bears and then the Colts to finish off if we can end up being around four or five wins around there that'd be ideal for us I think going forward yeah because you've got to go at LA at Green Bay at Minnesota places you don't go very often so no. uh, or you well certainly LA isn't a new one for for most, but as the Chargers are moved there, but yeah, you think you've got a lot, a lot of unfamiliar road trips, um, and I think these things, I think these things count for teams. You know, I think that the, the more familiar road trips players can get in a, you know, a routine or have some sort of you know mental familiarity around it, and it, it does help. But I think yeah, you've got, you know, Tennessee at Baltimore, Chicago and Indy is a, is a is a tough stretch to to, to finish off the year. So what do you, what do you think? So what do you think the floor? What's the ceiling for this team in 2020? So this, yeah, in in terms of how I see it all going, um, I think for me, obviously going into Maroon and Colwell, they 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 need a big year. I think whatever they need to see and show signs of improvement from last year, because last year, all in all, was a very bad year for us. Um, if you break it all down individually, it was it was not very good across the board. Um, so in terms of showing that we can compete, I think obviously people say, oh yeah, like a tank for Trevor, and there's a lot of rumours we're gonna get one or two wins and around that per year and it could be a bit of a disaster but I think in terms of ceiling in terms of wins I think five is probably our ceiling um, obviously with everything that's gone on obviously you've got Quay gone Fournette gone obviously Campbell Boyer big big parts of the team before have gone there's many holes to fill and obviously we have the capital to do that and we've picked as well with that I think around five win is probably our ceiling but there are a lot of positive take into into the future there's a lot of exciting players we do have on the roster and again I think we really are trying to change that mentality of we're just the whipping boys it all happens in Jacksonville there's always a story to tell and it's mostly bad all the time but I think going forward I think it's just trying to make sure that we really try and knuckle down and address this and then as of next year uh, next season into 2021 we try and make that next uh, that change and put a stamp on how we want to really run the uh, organisation yeah, no, I think so. Um, yeah, we'll need to see if Minchu Mania's continuing <laughs> in those short sort. It'll be, you know, as the bad boys of Jacksonville or the numerous personalities uh, continue. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you ever, uh, how, how, or how do you often, or, or what do you think now when you look back at that New England AFC Championship game when uh, when the, the linebacker was rolled down when, when they quite clearly wasn't? Yeah, do you know what? Especially on Twitter and other social media platforms, I get I get sent it a lot. I get tagged in a lot because on certain shows I've been very vocal about it. And was it a blessing that we didn't get all the way and maybe potentially winning it or anything like that? Because that year that team was, although it was very very good and we and we got as far as we did, it was a very ill-disciplined team. And we've also seen before that teams that go all the way and win the big one, it tends to collapse a lot worse than what it did if you got to the AFC Championship. So I think in a way it was probably a little blessing. It was a it's a bit of, we got away with that one because it could have been a lot worse. I know it sounds really weird saying that, but that team had a lot of characters and it had a lot of people in and around the organisation that didn't really have an understanding of where it wanted to go or how it would go. I think they were just riding with it week by week and obviously it was a, it was a success. But yeah, in terms of seeing Marge Jack get cooled down and, and also almost returning it was a, was a bit bitter on my part. But I think overall it probably was a, a blessing in disguise because we've seen all this unravel, which I think could have been ten times worse with all the all the story in the media against us in terms of various bust ups with players and obviously backroom staff and whatnot. So I think in a way it's kind of a blessing, but again, it's it's hard to tell on hindsight, isn't it really, what would have happened? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it shows us all, you know, how quickly it can all change and a number of years and you've probably just got to particularly this season appreciate it while it lasts but um rob from the jags across the pond uh, thank you very much for your time no, it was great. Thank you for having me on. Enjoy the content.